Now Kerr, looking for the long, oh that's brilliant! And Sam Kerr has surely clinched the title now. World-class players do world-class things. Welcome to another episode of Fran Kirby's Fight Club. This is your one-stop shop for all things Chelsea FCW and, of course, the legend that is Fran Kirby. I'm Andre Carlisle, and hey, guess what? Mariam's back. Mariam is back on the pod. My, my OG co-host, the co-host that, that has been listening to y'all on this podcast for what? We're in season three now? Mariam, it feels it feels hilarious to say, but welcome back question mark it is pretty funny it doesn't feel like it's been a couple of weeks I feel like it's been months I've just been stretched by the NBA and, and wedding plans and I've missed it I miss having a spot where I can just talk about Chelsea and just like I've been doing stuff at work and in the background I'll see like you tweet stuff from the main account or I'll see someone else commenting and I'll be like oh, damn it wish I could wish I had the time to to talk about Lauren James and how crazy she's you know all the goals she's scoring and, and doing that kind of stuff so yeah it, it seems insane but it's only been a couple of weeks and I'm very excited to be back, especially since we have loads of things to get through. Absolutely. And also you just threw in there very casually, you know, wedding planning. Congratulations. That's <laughs> yeah, extremely fun, but also extremely stressful. Yes. It, it's just, you know, it will happen in a short space of time. So in my religion, we have to have like the Islamic process first, which is equivalent to the registry process. Mm. You still got to do the registry process because that's the legal process, but it's similar. So you do that in a mosque. Um, and it, ideally you're meant to do it as quickly as you can. So that's why I was kind of done secretly without anyone knowing. Um, and then we still have everything to go in June. So we're in the process of getting all that ready and sorted. Finally booked a marquee, which was the main stress because mm -hmm. they just get booked out for June and people book them for like months on end. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's between the NBA and Sky Sports and, and that it's just been a bit crazy, but I am so glad I get to sit down and talk about Chelsea because, quite frankly, I've been jealous that you've been doing it with other people on this podcast. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm, first of all, again, congratulations. That's great. I mean, that you have been wildly busy. So I have been, uh, you know, I, I I appreciate you, you know, lending the platform, allow, allowing other people to be welcomed into, into <laughs> the fight club uh, while you were, you know, dealing with a bunch of other things in your own job and then of course the wedding uh and then also wanted to give a shout out to some of the people that helped us out mia erickson from in sweden from i believe itv sports maybe i shouldn't say that Ooh. unless i actually know uh but i've been very appreciative of mia for joining us and then our last guest Louisa Okolobi in Nigeria. I thank her so much for coming on to the pod. It was absolutely fun and great to talk to her, get her perspective on a lot of things, Chelsea FCW. So that's been great. And we're hoping to continue to add more voices at some point. It may be two of us, but it also may be all three. So yeah, we're, we'll see what happens in the future. But thank you so much to people who have filled in. All right, this episode, you know what? We decided we're just going to do a mailbag episode. <laughs> it's an international break. There are a lot of other games going on. Chelsea's crazy schedule, more on that later, doesn't get started until a little bit later after this international break. So mailbag, we're going to talk about the goalkeeper situation. We got questions about international competition, the psychology of international competition, a potential minutes cap for Lauren James, the back line. We're going to talk about everything. So Mariam, do we have anything else to say before we get into it? I think we just got to get into it. We just got to go for it. Let's do it. All right. So friend of the pod, friend of women's soccer, friend of just planet life, love, <laughs> happiness, Theo Lloyd Hughes uh, submitted a question here at Theo Lloyd Hughes. You can follow him, uh, of course, uh, on Twitter. The question here, it's an interesting one as well. Lauren James is close to eclipsing her previous most minutes total in a WSL season. Combine that with England, the Champions League, Conti Cup, FA, uh, and everything else. Do you think there's cause to put any minutes restrictions as a player still learning durability? Would you like more rotation down the stretch? It's an interesting one because I think, and we'll often go back to this, when she first joined, um, she spent an entire season out and you could see that Emma Hayes was building her out for the long term. And I think that's always been the goal with 
her physique, her fitness and her injury management, there was a lot of times that she struggled with consistency and performances and appearances. And it became very clear that she was destined almost to have this great role with Chelsea. But actually, the price for that would be to spend an extended amount of time on the sidelines, working with physios, working with um, the medical team and, and figuring out exactly how they could get that consistency. Because what what was happening is that we would see her in spells and, and even in the, the season to the end of that, she'd come on and she'd just look ragged and tired. And I think Emma realised that, that that was the only goal for her. Um, whatever happened in that time off, we haven't had much detail with it, or maybe you might know a little bit more than me, Andre. It's clearly worked for her. And I think that we're not in a place where I feel that she needs to be rotated or her minutes need to be managed because I think that she has a very good relationship with Emma Hayes. Emma Hayes is one of those managers who has a very great personal relationship with each player. Like, you know, it was I was reading the interview with Fran Kirby. Fran Kirby used to say that Emma would know I was tired or unwell just by the expression on my face. I wouldn't have to say anything. And I'm sure that that relationship is the same with all of her players. She knows when to not play her players, even if they try to lie to her or not say or hide it, she knows. So I think that each of the players have a, have a great relationship with them. And I think it's been the same with Lauren and her journey. Um, at the moment, I feel like I don't feel that risk in terms of rotating her. She's been doing great for Chelsea, um, you know, doesn't look tired at all. Every single time she plays, you you know madness. Madness is going to happen. She just glides past players like they're not there. Um, she scored her first ever goal for the Lionesses, obviously, against Korea. Yeah, that was great. Which was a crazy goal in itself. Um, and I think that it's just a testament to Chelsea, everything about their medical team in terms of why she's here now. Think of Melanie Lupoltz, who is literally playing a couple of months, if I'm uh, not incorrect, after her pregnancy. And there was a very specialist program to help her with that. So I think we've got to kind of say that everything that the club is doing medically for our players has been fantastic. And actually, we should be grateful for that because there are loads of women's football clubs who don't have that level or standard that Chelsea do. So it's kind of a long, long way of answering the question to say that I, I don't think we need to rotate her right now. I think she's in her prime and I think that she spent a lot of time on the sidelines and she probably doesn't want to be spending any more. Yeah, no, I actually agree with all of that. I think those are fair points. The 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 my my reaction to that is I think it's it's hard to know whether we should or shouldn't. I would like to have, you know, this is this is where I get, you know, I'm a little fr- I'm a little sad that Pernilla Harder's injury happened. It was a long-term injury. I would like to see some, you know, rotation, you know, Pernilla Harder coming in at the 10, Fran Kirby going out wide to the right and then Lauren James coming off the bench on on occasion. Um, you know, and, and of course, still starting some games, but I think just having that option. So I do think we're in a situation with this harder injury where we can't really, unless we're putting Conrad out there on the right instead of Lauren James, and no disrespect to Conrad, but Lauren James is, is just showing a different level, particularly this season. Um, I, I don't think you that's something that you really want to do if you're going to put out well, your, your strongest 11, I would say. Um, so I, but I think in terms of answering the question, I really do think it depends on what was the root cause of her durability slash injury issues at Manchester United. Mm-hmm. The way it looks like from an outside observer is that she was never really able, allowed or able to fully recover from injuries that she picked up. So when you do that and you keep playing, you just compound injuries. You either make mm-hmm. current injuries worse or you pick up new ones. And that's why I think Chelsea had to really be patient with her and say, okay, you know, this is going to pay off in the long run, but we're not going to rush you back to fitness. We're not going to wait when you're 85% or 90% or even 95%. We're not going to put you out there. So the question for me is, she started the season, you know, we we, we started calling on her, putting her in the starting lineups when she was as close to 100% as we could get her. And from there, where is she at? You know, where's her fitness level right now? It seems like she's still, she's still good, you know, but we don't know enough we don't have enough of the data for a good reason. We're not part of the team or the medical staff, so we're not going to have that. But, you know, they, they talk about player loading a lot and mm-hmm. whether a player's in the red or, you know, they, they manage all that kind of stuff. I think Chelsea's medical team is really, really good at this kind of thing. And I do think that even though she's had to play probably a little bit, even a little bit more than Emma Hayes would have wanted at the beginning due to some injuries, particularly to Harder, um, I do think that, she's in a good situation. Emma Hayes is not typically known for playing players until they just fall apart. Like you said, uh, Fran Kirby is a player that she's she's pretty protective of. She knows when Fran needs a rest. You know, sometimes 
you won't see Fran in a starting lineup or she'll be on the bench when you're expecting her to be in the starting 11. Mm-hmm. And it's really just making sure that she stays at a at a close to peak enough fitness, particularly throughout the season, so that she can use her throughout the entire season. So I don't know about a minutes restriction, but if Harder's coming back and she's able to come back and, and settle into the team, which, you know, given the schedule that's coming up, I don't know how much settling time we're going to have. But yeah, I'm kind of with you. I don't I don't know about a minutes restriction. I'm kind of trusting Chelsea's uh, medical and training staff for this one. It's interesting you said you make a really good point about load management. Funnily enough, it's something that we're talking a lot about in the NBA. Um, I don't want to make too many cross references, but actually a lot of players do what, you know, Chelsea have really successfully avoided, which is playing repetitively through injury. Um, LeBron James, it's an interesting story with him. He talks about how uh, there was some quote where he was saying before every game, he's listed as probable to not play because he's got an ongoing stress fracture and he just can't afford to not play. And I think a lot of the injuries we see on the men's side, maybe more so than the women's side, because that their schedule is just mental, is playing too much and not enough rest. Um, and with our schedule as well, looking slightly more hectic than it has in the last few seasons, you wonder whether the, where that protection is going to come from. And so I think it's very important that we, we make sure that the players who do have injuries are coming into the club, have the appropriate time to rest. I think that Lauren James is only playing the way she is now because she had she finally had that time. It's like you're saying, she didn't really have that time at United, but she did at Chelsea. And it's been like a whole whole world worth of difference. Um, but in terms of her positional performance, I'm actually just reading an, um, some quotes from Emma Hayes off this article in Football London talking about Lauren James. She says she thinks her, her best position is on the right, uh, where she's more ma- natural and comfortable. But she also says that long-term, she wants to see James play more centrally. Um, you know, linking with a number nine, getting that one-on-one strength. And then this is an interesting quote. We've spent hundreds of hours teaching her about why we had to take the right amount of time. She's listened, she's applied everything, and she's not there yet. She's still got to add a lot more to it, but she's going in the right direction. I think that's a really amazing quote because it shows the amount of time and effort that's gone into this progression and also how Emma Hayes is still looking to develop her. And as you say, the, the situation with Penilla Harder is going to be key to that. Yeah, I love that quote, and and I loved hearing that as well from Hayes because I I look at Lauren James and I I see the talent, I see the skill, I see the things that she's extremely good at. You know, keeping the ball, progressing the ball, you know, being able to hold off defenders, glide by defenders, and I just think, what if that was in the center of the pitch? And I love mm-hmm. that that's ultimately kind of the goal <laughs> to try to get her in that position. And I think the way she's doing it is smart. You know, build up her confidence, let her you know be impactful on the right. And then, you know, try it out, see. But yeah, I mean, when the ball gets close to her, there's nobody that's getting it off of her. And I just think that if you have that in the central of your attack, at the center of your attack, you just completely kind of destroy any defense. You can't really do anything with that. If you if there's a player that you can't get the ball from and they can just suck the ball in, then you just have to foul them. And I guess good luck with that. <laughs> you know, because there's also good free kick takers. You know, Guru loves to score a free kick goal as well. You know, so that's a bad option too, but then you give her the space to turn and dribble at you. We've seen her cut through multiple players, get into the box and score herself or provide assists. So that's where I ultimately want to see her. But yeah, the plan, whatever the plan is with Lauren James, it's going quite well. (laughs) So I'd say stick with it. Um, All right, let's move to the next question. This one's at the other end of the pitch. This is from, and I'm sorry if I butcher the name. I just see Muya Degizo. I'm going to say that. M-G-I-I-Z-O <laughs> at M-G-I-I-Z-O on Twitter. What are your thoughts on our goalkeeper situation? I can't bear to see AKB leave. So I'm going to set a little bit of framework on this. You know, Musevic, Zatira Musevic came in a little bit for um, AKB, started a few games, particularly in the game at versus PSG at the end of 2022 and then a few games, you know, starting in 2023. And it looked like the question was, is she, has she taken over that top spot? And it almost seemed like Emma Hayes wanted to see what she had because her contract was running out in the summer. And then as we know, a a week or so ago, she announced the contract extension. She's staying at Chelsea. We haven't, uh, uh, and also Berger is signed, I believe through 2024, maybe 2025, I can't remember, but she's at least signed a bit further long-term than this summer, of course. And then, of course, there are the reports that Nikki Evrard, the Belgian goalkeeper, has is also going to be announced as a signing. There's a lot of strong reporting from people who are good at this stuff, who follow these stories that say that's pretty much done. 
They're just waiting for Chelsea to announce it. So that would give us three goalkeepers, not including Emily Orman, who is a very good keeper prospect as well. Very young, but but a good prospect. And so the 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 consi- the the idea seems to be that that's too many goalkeepers, and one <laughs> is going to go. And people are kind of looking at AKB as the odd one out, perhaps. Miriam, what are your thoughts? It's difficult emotionally, I think, because obviously there's a lot more to this situation with Anne Catherine Berger, the recurrence of her, her thyroid cancer that happened at the end of last year. Kind of what kicked off this whole you know conversation around goalkeeping. Uh, she had a spell away from football, you say. Mazzara um, came in and, and has been doing amazingly and it just feels like there's this sense of a sort of disruptiveness that Chelsea aren't looking to bring in at the moment, especially with the, the ambitions we have around the Champions League and um, and the league itself. At the same time, though, I think something that's amazing about anne Catherine Bergen has been in the last couple of seasons is her shot-stopping. She's incredibly, you know, well, well sort of spotted in that position to react to things. She's been really great for us in that position. Um, she's very easy to link up to in terms of playing out from the back, and that's something that's been more important to us when we switch to the back three I think she's obviously got a lot of skills but is the question around a her timing and availability to play and and b her fitness and how much she should be pushing her body not just as a as a cancer patient but as a woman with a comp- compromising illness in a you know compromised immune system so I think there's a lot of moving parts here and a lot of them are complex um, but at, in the same sense I'm glad to see that we are looking for other options because I think in some ways in the past, we've had situations with wanting to move players on, but not really trying to find the right fit. I think a long time with G um, and moving her around, that was a whole situation, eventually bringing in Leupold's, um, other positions like the the right back position for a couple of seasons. So I think I'm, I'm pleased to see that we're looking ahead. Um, I think, as you mentioned, Nikki Everard, absolutely amazing um, during the, the women's Euros and really got a lot of attention that way. I think that was a really great um a really great possible surprise, maybe signing. Uh, obviously, in terms of as you say, goalkeepers, we've already got quite a lot. Um, but it just feels like maybe that might be the good way, the best way to go forward. Again, it's it's kind of all down to how we think, how much we think she's going to be able to play. And only Emma knows that best, as we said. Emma knows her players the best. But um, I'm quite pleased with Everard. I think Van Domselaar, she was just as good in the Euros as well. That was a really interesting one. The the Dutch keeper. Um, obviously, as you say, we already have a goalkeeper who's playing at the moment. Rosero, um, she's been absolutely amazing. So it kind of also puts you in a position where you think, what does that mean for Anne-Catherine Berger? We look at the Beth England situation, it was kind of similar, obviously, you know, respectively, one of them is dealing with a can- uh, with cancer and one of them isn't, but it's about game time as well. How much you could be sort of pleased and and, and happy with and content with the amount of game time you're receiving. Um, so... I think it's it's a difficult one. I think it'd be really difficult to let her go, especially at such a, a crossroads in her season, in her personal life. I think that'd be a really difficult thing to do, and I don't think Emma would do that. Um, you know, she kept Beth on for such a long time. She stayed along with G for so many years. Um, I think Anne Catherine Berger is in that category. She's one of our greatest goalkeepers, you know, um, and I don't think that Emma would do that to her, really. Emma has a personal relationship with each of her players, so I don't think that we're going to let her go. But I think at the same time, it kind of complicates everything else. It's, it's kind of like the situation we brought in, you know, we brought in Sam Kerr and then, and, and then there was an odd attacker out. It's it's going to be difficult. I think she might have to make a tough decision. But at the same time, on an emotional level, I don't think she'd do that. Does, does that make sense? Is that a weird thing to say? <laughs> it does make sense. And it, and it is it is an interesting one to me. I mean, Musevich is 26, Everard is 27, and AKB is 32. That's not really for, especially for goalkeepers, that's kind of, you know, with the, with Everard and, and Musevich should be kind of hitting their prime. And then of course, AKB still near her prime in her prime. I don't really, I don't really know what's going on. And it kind of makes me wonder if something is happening or something happened behind the scenes. Maybe I, I hope nothing, ba- I hope it's nothing bad. Of course, you mentioned, you know, AKB's diagnosis and it was absolutely incredible that she was able to come back so soon after that diagnosis, you know, we were scared you know especially not not just for like obviously not for the goalkeeping position at Chelsea but just for her um and her and her life and and all of that so it was just a little concerning when you get a diagnosis like that and then you hear that 
she's gone through treatment, she's gotten through it, she's coming back to the team, and you're like, that is absolutely amazing. But I will also say sometimes those kind of things can alter a mindset a little bit, can kind of make Mm -hmm. you focus on other things. And so I don't know if AKB has decided to say, you know what, maybe this is not what I want to do with the rest of my life. I don't really know what I want to do. I want to do something else. Maybe that's what's happening. I mean, it's really hard to read between the lines because we don't have any more information, not necessarily that we're entitled to it, but we see like a a, a crowd at goalkeeper right now. And it is interesting. Um, And the Musevich signing was interesting. I actually thought that what was going to happen is that we might bring in Everard to be the backup and mm-hmm. Musevich was going to be allowed to, to leave in the summer. Clearly that is not happening. Um, and really the reason I thought that is because even though I think Musevich has been good, I think there's been some moments where it's not that she hasn't been quality, but I still think AKB is a better shot mm-hmm. stopper than she is. I think so um, too, yeah. And and I also wanted to see her tested a bit more. I mean, Arsenal did us no favors. I mean, I guess in terms of the game and actually, you know, not hit, not scoring goals, that was great. Uh, but they they shot a lot directly at Musovic. Uh, same thing in, I believe, I can't remember which game it was, but the same thing happened in another game where a lot of the shots were directly at her. Some of that, of course, is good positioning. But then some of that is when a player gets the ball in the box and they have the opportunity to go near post or far post and they hit it right down the center, that kind of doesn't allow you to be able to really be able to, to evaluate the goalkeeper all that well. I do think that AKB made some pretty good um, saves. There was one in particular against Arsenal. I think a ball was creeping into the far corner. She was able to get down quickly and have a strong hand to like slide across and push it out. So like stuff like that is what I want to see more of. And I just didn't see enough. So clearly Emma Hay sees her a lot more in training. So perhaps she's seeing more of the potential, more of the possibility. But yeah, I I don't want to see AKB go, but the, the goalkeeping situation is a bit of a confusing one. So I, I think ultimately we're just going to have to wait and see what happens. But if all three goalkeepers plus Orman stays at Chelsea, I don't know what that does. I don't know what that looks like. And I have no idea who Emma Hayes is going to select to start. I personally would still like to see Ann Katchenberger because I think she's our best overall goalkeeper. But apparently there's going to be a lot of other options too. But I, it's like I said, though, it's kind of like the same situation when, when Sam Kerr and Penilla Hardy came in because there was Fran Kirby, but then there was also like Beth England and there was going to be one person to miss out, right? So if all of them stay, there's going to be at least one of them that's going to have to... Yeah. resign themselves to very little football and yeah. as in the case of Beth England you know you can only do that for so long especially because all of them are quite talented you know that's what I mean by like by Anne Catherine Berger if she's the one who ends up you know being on the bench a lot you think she's she's a really top class goalkeeper is she going to to want to do that with the rest of her career she's as you said she's 32 now she's probably got a couple of good years in her and you know there's no reason why another Champions League level club wouldn't want to to have her, whether that was a backup keeper or, or you know, number one. So it's it's definitely tricky. But um, Emma Hayes likes to you know put herself in tricky positions. So <laughs> we'll just, I think sure we just have to does. wait and see how that's going to work out. We can only speculate, really. Yeah, yeah, it is an interesting one. I, I do think that at some point we'll hear something that's going to make it clear, especially once mm-hmm. you know the Everard signing is made official. But yeah, I'm. I'm with you. I don't really know what's going on with the position. I don't want to see AKB leave, but if she ends up doing it, I I hope it's for for a good reason and not just because Emma Hayes says I think we can have you know we have a better chance of developing a younger goalkeeper into you know being better for the next couple of years. And and again, I'm with you. I don't think Emma Hayes would do that because Berger is still very good. Um, if we saw a, a decline, then perhaps yeah, you could say okay, she's not getting the shots the the same way. But we haven't really seen that with her. Um, of course, you know, we've talked about it on this podcast. There are the odd random mistakes that will happen from time <laughs> to time. There are errors where she'll clear the ball and it'll go straight to an opponent or something like that. Like, yes, there are some weird things that happen, but we saw that Musevich can do similar things as well. So it's not necessarily, uh, it, it's just hard to say. It's hard to say. I'm hoping that we get more clarity soon and I hope that everything's all right. And the reason why it seems like we're hoarding goalkeepers at the moment is a good reason <laughs> and not something that is just like Emma Hayes wants to give herself a headache. Um, all right, let's go to another question. Vince Wright, V Wright 250 on Twitter. No person is an island. So true, Vince. How do you think issues and results of international games affect a player's club season? 
I love this question because it really gets into like the psychology of players. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very fascinating. So, um, Mariam, what do you think? You know, it's, it sounds a bit cliche, but every player is, is different. Like, for example, we know that Sam Gray absolutely loves flying all around the world. Like, she will not care if she's jet lagged. She's, you know, she's in Australia one, one day, she's back over here the other. Um, she absolutely loves it. You know, that's an example of a player who can do it really well. But somebody else um, might struggle just traveling around Europe, let alone across the world. Uh, we know that Lauren James, you know, she had a her first Lioness's goal this uh, this week past, um, and she she did that incredibly well. And again, a lot of players just are able to transfer those skills quite easily. But I think one thing that's quite interesting though is to see then how they're after that. How are they able to reintegrate back into teams, back into regular league football? Um, it's something that we talked about. Chelsea as a team can be quite rusty especially with a long break. And you mentioned it a couple of times in this podcast, but how much of that is down to the team in general and how much of it is down to individual players struggling to cope kind of with the travel and the jet lag and then the back and forth. I think that's not something people really think about. They kind of just see it as a fault of the team, right? Whereas what if it's just like the fact that people deal differently with breaks and, and changes in schedules and structures um, and, and especially individual players, and you have to cater to each individual player. And sometimes team practices aren't structured that way. Yeah, I think I think that's that's right. Now, and, and I love this question because the psychology aspect is so fascinating. I think the psychology between a club team and an and a national team is super fascinating, especially because you know club teams are can be because you're still. I mean, there are parameters on who you can recruit and, and sign on your team. You know, there are homegrown rules, of course, budgetary mm-hmm. things, and, and as well. But I think that most club teams, especially a club team like Chelsea, is we're trying to get the best players at every position on the pitch, whereas a national team can try to do that, but they really only can can get players who are eligible to play for them. So it's different. So you'll see players play a very different role sometimes with their national team versus their club team. You know, mm-hmm. we've, we've seen like Lauren James has been pretty central to Chelsea. And even though she's breaking through with the Lionesses, that's kind of a recent development. So that kind of changes a little bit, but that the, the, the boost from what she's able to accomplish in the WSL and the champions league with Chelsea can only help her Linus's career. But then you also see maybe the inverse a little bit where I saw that Connor had started versus China scored in the first three minutes. And we've seen she's, she's been good in flashes for Chelsea, but she hasn't really kicked on in that similar type of way. And so you see her playing a kind of a more central, a more important role with her with Sweden than she does so than she has so far with Chelsea. So I think the psychology of that is interesting. Uh, here in the States, we are having a, another round of conversation about Crystal Dunn and where she is best. Uh, if you only pay attention to the U.S. women's national team, you know that she's been a the, the left back for the team for many years. And the, the shocking thing is that that's not actually her best position. She's actually a midfielder, an attacking midfielder as well, but she can play either the eight or the 10. Uh, and she's very good at that. Super good at that. If we watched like the, um, if you watch the NWSL, you know, and from 2018, 2019, I mean, she also scored, she also won a golden boot in 2015. Like Crystal Dunn is a very, very good central attacking player, but we stick her at left back for the national team. And it it's a lot for her. She recently released an interview with GQ and I'm talking about Crystal Dunn a lot because as we know, former Chelsea player makes my heart <laughs> happy. Um, but she, she released an interview or she didn't release the interview, but G- GQ released an interview with her where she talked about how demanding it is mentally for her to switch back and forth into positions. I mean, she's really central to what her club teams do in from midfield. And then when she steps onto the national team, she has to completely re like come recalibrate her senses, her awareness, her reactions, her positioning, everything else to be a left back. And it's hard to go back and forth between both. So that's kind of like an extreme example of this. But yeah, I do think it's really, really fascinating to see the differences that you can get from a national team player versus club team. And sometimes, you know, the club pressure can be big and that can really weigh on a player. I I honestly think that I believe, ah, man, I, I should have looked this up before we recorded, started recording. But I think that when you see Pernilla Harder play for Denmark, she plays in for Denmark a little bit differently than she plays for Chelsea because she's so central to everything that they do. 
And then typically she ends up coming back with some sort of injury because I think she's mm-hmm. either being relied on a lot or their pressing structure is a little bit different or she's having to do something that she's not used to doing week in and week out with Chelsea. And so we've seen some stuff like that too, where it can impact physically. But yeah, I just think the whole thing is fascinating because because players you know, have to get into different mindsets depending on what, what, what shirt they're wearing when they're stepping onto the pitch and who they're representing and the players around them. I think it's cool. Yeah, I think a lot of, like, you know, as I say, it varies because some players will find that really easy. I, I suppose if we're going to be, like, really reductionist about it, Sam Kerr's a striker for Chelsea and she's a striker when she plays for Australia, you know. There may be some minute differences, but she's very much capable of transitioning quite easily because a lot of the, the physical um, and technical skills involved are quite easy to move between. For example, let's look at Fran Kirby. We know that she can she plays in quite an advanced role for Chelsea. She can play as a shadow striker, the number 10. Uh, she can play the tip of the diamond. Um, when she's playing for England and Serena Wagman, and we saw in the Euros, she can play in a slightly deeper role. You might not notice her so much, but she's the reason why England are able to get assists and get balls through to um, through to the attack. And sometimes she played off Kira Walsh in the midfield um, as like one of the deepest players. And... In that sense, that's something that's quite different to her. It's it's not something that she's used to, but it, in the same way, it's easier for her physically and on her body. So I think, as you say, it's not just so much about the, the transition between teams and clubs, but also technically and positionally. Um, and we know that we've we've had that you know attack has never been our struggle with Chelsea. We do have issues with mid. We've had mis- issues with midfield and issues with defence. Um, and often that's come after long stretches of, of breaks between domestic and international football. So there's definitely a reason to kind of think about that and and to explore it more. Um, as you say, you know, there's just just so much to kind of get into the psychology element, and um, and most of these players will have to have like some kind of down period afterwards, and they'll they'll speak to psychologists and therapists, um, and they'll be open about these things. But I think it's it's something that we need to explore a lot more. Yeah, it is super fascinating, and I am I'm I'm kind of here for it. I would love to talk to players a bit more about that as well, like being able to get a deeper understanding of how their mindset changes and and if they do anything, you know, routinely to to adjust their mindset when they go to play for a club or country. And especially I would be interested in how that changes depending on how their actual role with their, how different their role for the national team is versus their club team. I think that'd be actually kind of fascinating. Um, But let's move on to the next question. This is from Carl Isles at doesn't matter. Uh, (laughs) Emma Hayes has tweaked the back line of quite a bit this season. Magda Eriksson has moved to left back then out of the 11 altogether for a couple matches. F. Parise has been in. Uh, Nave Charles has been in. Jess Carter have all rotated for at the fullback position. So what is your preferred back line? That's a dangerous question. But Miriam, <laughs> tell us, what's your preferred yeah. back line? Um, I think I definitely prefer Perez in the right back role just because I think... In games where we haven't started, you can see the difference straight away. It's not just so much as the ball carrying and the progression, but also the ability to to find the attacking lanes um, and to really stretch opposition defences when they're trying to keep us narrow and box us in. And I think that's something that Guru Wrighton has come to do a lot well for us in midfield. She's kind of transitioned to this this deeper attacking role. Um, but often in the past, that stemmed from defence. And I think that's something that's really important for us. Um, I think that's the kind of the reason why she was signed in the first place, right? Because we watched her play for the French national team in the Euros over the summer. And that's where she, you know, a lot of people became familiar with her. And you could see straight away, possessionally, that she was just so comfortable with the ball. But she was also able to be positionally aware, understanding when to make those runs. Um, and in very crucial aspect of our attack when it came to delivering crosses and free kicks which we found that when we're dealing with high press teams it's actually a really useful feature to have I think it was it was either against Arsenal or Man City that she came on late in the game um, and she had an assist I think for Sam Kerr and we were just sitting there thinking why wasn't she on it you know earlier so I think Emma does like to experiment in that in that position as you say there's been a couple of different holes in there um, Neem Charles Champions League final obviously uh, but I think that Perisay is a way to go forward. Um, I I feel like Buchanan coming in has been so strong for us alongside Millie Bright. It makes sense that Magda is going to be the one that's had to be left out because I feel like at the fullback role, she's able to do the job because the the skills are transitional, but it's it's not convincing enough for me. 
I feel like our central defensive pairing of, of Millie Bright and Kenichi Buchanan has been really strong for us. Both of them are really comfortable playing out from the back. Often you will see um, either one of them start in counter-attacks, just long long balls over the top or, or balls straight through the midfield or playing past our really high press. And I think, again, that's another thing that's really important. Chelsea are our counter-attacking team and it's important for us to try to start those in places or in areas of defence because we know that we're going to come against teams that are pushing us and, and marking us and trying to get that possession. Um, so that's my, my favoured... I guess I mentioned three there. I, I, I'm quite keen on the back three. I know that might be a bit of a controversial take. Um, <laughs> I quite like the idea of having um, three centre-backs just because I think that so much about the signings we made imply that we want to be a possessional team. You know, The whole idea of of the panic around the number eight position was because we needed somebody to help link up with what was happening back there. Or maybe not the whole idea, but at least part of it. Um, I think a back four is useful, obviously. Sometimes you need to do that. We've seen it against, we see, you know, Chelsea do it against, you know, games like Arsenal, Man City, Man United, just because you kind of want a bit more width and dimension to your attack and you don't kind of want to be caught out in, in areas near the byline. But I think that, that if I would, if I, if it was me, I'd go with a back three and I'd have like, Someone, you know, even Eve Perisay, I know she's playing on the right, but she, she's, as we see for the French national team, she's capable of playing across the line. She's, you know, she's capable of playing in the centre-back role. So I think the most important thing for us is to have people who are versatile and people who know how to handle the ball. Um, I th- I'm definitely more keen on the back three. I don't know, how, how do you feel? Because you've talked a lot about the back three. I feel like that's that was your thing for like a whole segment of the season. <laughs> yeah, I well, see, that's what was confusing to me about when we brought in Khadija Buchanan, which I absolutely love the signing. I think she is such an excellent center back. And yeah, there's been some, you know, wobbles a little bit in trying to get used to a new team, the way Emma structures her back line, you know, what she, all the responsibilities the back line has, because they not only are, are responsible for positional defending and being in, you know, in, in reading play and linking up with the, with the defensive midfielder to move the ball from defense into midfield, Sometimes they're also relied on to like progress the ball even further, you know, mm-hmm. take it in the midfield yourself, you know, spot those line breaking passes, those kind of things. And I, so I thought that, okay, this makes a lot of sense. You know, you have Kaduji Buchanan on the right where she's most comfortable. You have Millie Bright central, and then you have Magda on the playing like the left sided center back. And I thought that was going to be the way we lined up. And then all of a sudden we've kind of done a back four. And that I think has been, I think it's been good for the midfield and attack because I think the way that 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 those units are linking up, it's very good. And so Mm -hmm. I like to see that. But it kind of makes the the defense a little wobbly because now we don't really have perfectly fit pieces for a back four. So we kind of look at, you know, Khadija Buchanan and Millie Bright being the central two. And then Magda has been the odd player out Mm -hmm. where she goes and plays at left back sometimes. And again, this sometimes it's a hybrid. Once once the game, once the ball starts rolling, sometimes we're in a back three, it appears, and sometimes we're in a back four. But positionally, especially defending, she's more of a left back than she is a left-sided center back. And I and I agree with you. I don't think that's the best use of her position, but I or her her skills. But I also will say we let in a lot of really stupid goals when Magda Erickson is not on the pitch. <laughs> so for that reason alone, I'm almost like it may not be her best position, but it's kind of the one that I think she needs to be in because I don't like, while I think Jess Carter can play there, I think you still miss something in terms of the passing and the ability to move the ball. Cause Magda in possession is still great from that, those areas we saw, um, I, and I give a shout out to Mia Erickson when she she tweeted something about this in, in a recent Chelsea game. Erickson came on and she just booted a ball left foot perfectly, dropped <laughs> it on the other side of the box, like other across the pitch is a diagonal across the pitch to the other side of the box. I think it dropped to Conrad's foot and she wasn't able to get a shot on on goal or wasn't able to turn it into a goal, but it was perfect. And it's like I want the ability of that. I want that ability on the pitch at all times. So. Even though it's a little wonky at left back, I kind of am here for it. I do think Millie Bright is playing too well to drop her. And I think Khadija Buchanan has so many skills uh, where it's difficult to drop her. I think we have seen some, like I said, we've seen some wobbles from her, but I think she's so good and she's she's such a presence back there and she's good, very good at reading play. I think she's she's a really exceptional player and I think having her in the team is good as well. So, um, But I'm also with you. 
I think Parise needs to be the right back. I like Neve Charles. I like what she can do, but she's just not a natural defender. And if we're going to get it to that point, I just think it's going to take some time because there are positioning elements. There's things that she didn't have to worry about for the start of her career because she was a winger. And now she's going to kind of really take hold of the fullback position. I think there's some things that she needs to add to her game. There's the positional awareness, how to be able to use her body and body shape to be able to discourage attacking players from making particular runs that are going to be more dangerous through the back line. So I think there are things that she can do um, to improve on that, definitely. But right now, I want to see Parise because I think she's good and I think she's she's our most settled fullback in terms of being able to have the, the complement of attack and defense. And I just think she just needs to link a little bit more. She just needs a little bit more comfort, you know, a little bit more repet- a few more repetitions with the attack and the midfield to get those combinations right. But I think once we do that, she'll absolutely stand out as the better as the better fullback. So I'm still going with the back four just because we've had a back four, Ooh. and I think it works the best for the attack and midfield. And I'm sorry, Magda's a little bit out of position, but I cannot put her on the bench. She's too important. It's difficult because I think the opposite things for the same reasons. Um, but I think it's kind of what you said, though, like with the back four, you still are a little bit wobbly, but you get these extra added perks. But with the back three, you know, you prioritize possession a bit more and Chelsea are gearing themselves around, a, you know, this sort of transitional team with all the midfield signings. So it's just it feels like one of those things where we kind of have to dis- pick and stick, although maybe not so much. You know, you can go between formations, but it feels like, you know, there's just there's still a bit of discrepancy over what Chelsea want and kind of the options they have or too many options or, you know, too many positions. So it's a bit of a tricky one. And that actually leads us perfectly, unfortunately, into oh, no. the next question. Don't like this Mary one. <laughs> Nottingham from, from at, I'd rather not say, uh, <laughs> let's assume the worst should happen and Magda and Pernilla are not signing contract extensions and they leave the club this summer. That would leave some pretty big holes in the team. So let's dream a bit. Who would be your selections to replace them? Interesante. Molto interesante. Well, first of all, I think we should remember that Fran Kirby in, in that left position was kind of where she played for a long time before Penilla Harder came around. Um, it's possible for her to play in that position again. It would open up the central area a bit more. We talked earlier about Lauren James, you know, the goal for Lauren James to be is to be playing more centrally and that she still has a ways to go there. So it is possible um, for, for Fran to move across the left and James to be a bit more central, but that does leave a short one player, doesn't it? Um, kind of goes back to this, the signings we made. We made so many midfield signings. We made Svitkova, we've got Kankovic, we've got Leupold's coming back. Um, gosh, I was about to say G for a second. We've got Cuthbert. Oh, um, I know. I can't, I, can't, I can't do it. We've got Cuthbert, we've got Ingalls. I think there's a lot of combinations to work around, but also actually quite a lot of those combinations aren't really attacking combinations. Cuthbert maybe, yes, a little bit. Obviously, Gurraitan, who I failed to mention. But I think that the idea of having Svitkova and Kankovic and Aloypolds are all kind of signings geared towards playing sort of deep defending in midfield kind of roles and positions or even or just positions where they can pull the strings they can you know break up counterattacks they can read between the lines that kind of stuff um maybe guru Wrighton comes a bit plays a bit more forward and and kind of occupies that hole and and allows Fran Kirby to be a bit more free kind of how she did in the beginning of the season when she came back from a, a couple of seasons ago she came back from a long injury um on the sidelines and she really um, expediated her goal scoring and assists um, records by playing in this sort of unhampered role where she was just free to do whatever she wanted. Um, it's kind of a difficult one because you don't know whether she still has a fitness to do that. I read this really sad article recently of how she talked about, you know, she goes through another illness like she's done recently, like it was with the COVID and the pericarditis. She might think about retiring. So I think it's kind of more about whether Fran has, has you know, whether her body is able to put go through that considering you know the mystery around the fatigue she experienced so I'm not sure whether you know whether she she wants to or whether even Emma Hayes wants to put in a position where she will be fouled a lot she will be you know pushing her body to limits of fitness so it's possible that it might be easier for her to play on the flanks um and for Guru to move across James to play more centrally and, and Sam Kerr to be up front um 
I think we still we still have all the players to do it, right? I don't, you know, I think the question might have been geared around possibly like signing more players, but I still feel like we've signed so many. We need time to make this work and gel. Um, and I think Emma Hayes is probably more than capable of finding a fit for what we already have. Okay, so you're doing in-house uh I actually got to though. There's just, just too too many things <laughs> happening now. <laughs> but I, I well, so I'll say this. I agree, but also we are in a lot of competitions. Like think like we're and we're gonna talk mm, about this next, right, but we are right. in so many competitions. The our month of March looks ridiculous on the schedule. <laughs> and so having a bigger squad is not a terrible thing. I do think that you run into some issues before these competitions really get started where you've got some really good players who aren't getting much playing time and that's not a great position to be in. But I think it even throughout the season, it all balances out because you are going to need, and of course you're going to need to match up against different kinds of teams too. Like we can run out with basically our same 11. Like we know what our best 11 really is um, for the WSL, but it might not be the same thing in the champions league. We might have to have players who do, different things and attack defenses in different ways or defend different in different ways, things like that. So um, I do think that there are, there's definitely a, a reason to have a bigger squad to bring in players, but also part of it is, I just, I don't know, y'all. I just really love transfer season. I do. You just like it too much. I do. I love the rumors. I love thinking about it. Like, Ooh, what if this player was on this team? That would be so great. So my answers absolutely involve transfers because <laughs> I want to dream. I want to dream. So this is what I'm going to do. Magda and Pernilla are, are very dangerous players. I think Pernilla, unfortunately, and, and I really, I'm really hoping she doesn't leave because I really feel like I want to see her at her best in a Chelsea shirt. We have not seen that yet. She's had some very good moments, but we haven't had a stretch of Pernilla being the Pernilla that we saw at Wolfsburg. And I think some of that is due to just Chelsea and the talent around. She can't and, and of course, the WSL being a little different in quality, depending on which end of the table you're playing against. But yeah, so for Penilla, I am with you. I do think that we try to get Lauren James in that central attacking midfield position. I think that that would be very interesting. I would love to see her for it for all the reasons I mentioned earlier. I think another tricky name is, and she probably won't be ready because she's just 18, but they're, they're, but she's very good. But Micah Hamano, who we mm-hmm. signed in January, Recently, yep. she has looked very good. And she's an interesting sort of, she's playing as a striker right now, but she has a very good eye for passes and she has very good eye for link up play in and around the box. I think she would be a fascinating number 10 eventually. And then of course you mentioned Shankovich. I think she has a little bit deeper in terms of her positioning and where she uh, delivers the ball she can get closer to the box and do some of the same things but um i think she's a fascinating player as well but you know where i'm going you know where i'm yeah, going yeah i was waiting for you go on the Say rumors it. have already been circulating katarina <laughs> macario has not extended her contract with leon yet i believe it's up this summer she is rehabbing an acl injury but back on the grass kicking the ball around she might be ready for some minutes. Hopefully not when Chelsea plays Leon because I'll be scared out of my mind because she's that damn good. But I would love to see that. It would make me so happy to see Katarina Macario in a Chelsea shirt. I think she would absolutely destroy the WSL because she is just that good. Just... Uh, so yeah, that would be my dream signing to replace Pernilla. Dream signing to replace Magda. This is an interesting one, especially because of what we just talked about, right? Mm-hmm. So the question is, are we looking at a left back? Are we looking at a center back? And this is where I'm kind of stuck. Mm. We probably should get a left back. And I don't necessarily know which one to get. So I kind of just like struggled. And, and then I was like, you know what? I, I'm going to do the center back thing because, you know, I still think maybe we do a back three for real, for real this time. And we figure out what to do on the wingback positions. And mainly I did that because I started thinking about Naomi Gurma um, at (laughs) Chelsea and I got excited. So I know those are two U.S. centric picks, but I'm telling you, Naomi Gurma is an exciting player for a defender. She's very, very good. Very, very mobile. Very good reader of play. Very good in transition and recovering. She doesn't get beat too often at all 1v1. She's an exceptional defender, and she's a great distributor from the back. 
she can spot some outrageous passes. And I think that's something that Magda has the ability to do as well. And so I would love to see that. Now, she doesn't play as wide. I think she probably has a skill set that could be utilized in wider areas. So she might be able to handle that that hybrid back three, back four position. But I wouldn't like to see her too close to the touchline. So that might be a bit of an issue. But I just started thinking about Germer with Chelsea and I got excited. So that's going to be my answer. I, I feel like I, I must at least tell you to not get too excited because you did this with Grace Goyero. And you got too <laughs> excited. Then you got upset. And you, know, you got really up, you worked up over it. And it never <laughs> happened in the end. Um, but I, yeah, the, I think that's interesting to think because you would have thought that this was a big window for Chelsea and they would have signed someone like that. That was the plan. But as you're saying, they're kind of signing one type of player but actually the team is the defense is gearing to towards another type of formation so it's a bit tricky um speaking of transfers though just a couple of names came to my mind because I, I keep thinking back to watching the french side in the euros and selma batcher is one um maybe a little bit out of our league definitely yes and uh sakina karchawi who i absolutely love love to bits and i, I saw her play live twice um uh, so there's a couple of other options out there. And, of course, we have to mention Fridolina Rolfo because our good friend Mia um, talks about her maybe <laughs> like every other sentence. Um, so if that if, if Chelsea were going to spend big money to secure something like this, the, the same way they wanted to spend big um, to get Grace Guerrero and, and break the bank, then I, I wouldn't see why they wouldn't go for somebody who was the best. You know, Grace is one of the best in her positions. These guys are the best in their positions. I also feel like we've got so many players who are versatile enough to play as centre-backs. So although I know I want a back three, I feel comfortable with a back three because I know somebody, not only do we have centre-backs, but we have players who are versatile enough to do like like Perise. Um So I feel like I'd be more interested in actually an out-and-out left, left winger. Kind of the opposite of what you said. Um, but I just feel like it makes more sense to lock down that position because I'd, I'd be comfortable with, with somebody who wasn't completely a centre-back coming in, you know, to play in that role. But I don't feel like I'm that altogether comfortable with Magda. You know, if she was playing there, if she leaves, it kind of leaves us with a bit of a hole. So I'm kind of hoping if we do any transfer activity, it will be kind of securing someone big. But uh, I'm hoping, uh, hoping at least one of us gets gets something, you know, one of our dreams comes true <laughs> and then at least one of us is happy. Um, not like the Euro situation, we were both sad, but that's just, that's just, you know, wishful thinking. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you as well. Like if we're, if we are focusing on left back, I think Selma Basha is, is the answer. Like that's, if we're dreaming, that's the answer. I also throw in another, another one and I'm going to keep it US centric. I don't know why I'm doing this so much because I'm usually not, not, not want to get too hyped, but I really like this, this uh, US class. And I don't think people are are quite aware of how good it it can be. And hopefully is, but um, Haley Mace is another fascinating player. And the only reason I think about her, she's a left-sided player, can play, plays mostly left back, but I think about her because she's so versatile. She can play pretty much anywhere on the pitch. She can play as a winger. She can step into midfield and do things. And I think if we're looking at, you know, thinking about our shape as something that can evolve and move throughout the match, I think she would be great. She could invert and be very comfortable. She could play very wide and be very comfortable. She could even play wing back and be comfortable. And I think if we're looking at versatile players, I think a outside back pairing of Eve uh, Perise and Haley Mace would be fascinating because both of those players are are a bit similar in what they do and how active they are. Uh, Haley Mace is maybe a little bit more have a little bit more athleticism about her. Um, but yeah, I, I would be a little fascinated to see that. And I think it it wouldn't really be the splashiest signing Chelsea could make, mm-hmm. but I think it would be a very good signing that Chelsea could make for le- the left back position if we were to commit to a back four, hybrid back three, whatever you want to <laughs> call it. Um, all right, last question. And appreciate everyone who 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 sent in <laughs> questions. Appreciate y'all. And um, we're going to get to the final one from Randy Dom at I Do Not Exist. Uh, Chelsea has a crazy schedule coming up. So what are your expectations heading into the hectic period? It is a brutal schedule. Yeah, it's kind of difficult because I feel like the schedule always works against us. Like we're just always the ones who have to play away against a big team on the first day or our last day of the fixture is against one of our rivals. 
or we have to reschedule two games and somehow find find time in the space of a week. Um, so, of course, a great way to kick off the next month is playing Arsenal. And and to be honest, maybe this is the best time to play Arsenal. They did get absolutely smashed by Man City um, before the international period. But it's still Arsenal and it's still Jonas Eideville and he's just incredibly annoying person who will find new and inventive ways to get under our skin as a team collectively. Um, and although I, I feel quite strong about uh, our attack going against theirs, knowing that they failed to sign a big striker, um, you know, they wanted they wanted to break the bank to get Alessio Russo. They were willing to hand over Senior Black Sinius even. I don't know how to feel about that. It's a bit bit of a tricky situation. Um, but they that didn't was not smart by them. Yeah, that's <laughs> if I was Black Sinius, I would be like, that's a bit dodge, mate, you know. You willing to hand me over like that. Um, right. She just got there too. So. Yeah, and I think she's an incredible number nine and she plays amazingly well for our international team. Um Arsenal should be sculpting around her, but obviously that's another conversation. But yeah, so they didn't really nail down a proper striker. They did have they did sign a couple of forwards, but I know they were looking for a, a big one. They didn't get that. No Beth Mead and no Vivian Medima, so that that kind of put us in a stronger position. Um, but United are also doing well in the league, and they're kind of behind our backs with Man City. Two points, you know, just kind of been stuck in this circle where we really got to nail down our games but even outside of that as you say the schedule is pretty intense for Champions League fixtures and and League Cups and this is the time where we can appreciate all the signings that Emma made it's for this it's for the squad depth but at the same time it's what we talked about before load management we can't play our best players intensively we have to find different formations and different positions and unfortunately a lot of that is going to be experimentative and you've just got to see what fits and what works um so it's not forgiving i know that emma doesn't like it she she talked about it in a couple of different articles for the telegraph about how damaging it is on players but we've just kind of got to make do with what we have this was a whole point right expand the squad so that we can compete in multiple competitions and so this might be the first, this is the first season that we're really seeing that after everything that happened last season in the Champions League and how embarrassing that exit was, this is the time for us to prove on on paper and on the pitch that we can keep up with the craziness that is the fixture list. Yeah, let me go through these games because this is just an outrageous stretch. Like March is just going to, I hope my heart can make it through March is what I'm going to say. This is... If, well, it starts even before March, because in a week's time on Sunday, um, the 26th of February, Chelsea and Arsenal again. Mm-hmm. And it's a very a fifth round match in the FA Cup. I don't really understand why that had to happen. I think maybe they just wanted to get Chelsea and Arsenal on TV again. I just think it's so strange that they chose a fifth round match instead of trying to wait until you know, semifinal maybe or the final if they get there or something. But, I, but I'm sure, they're going for it. And then we play... Arsenal again, March 5th, a week later uh, in the League Cup final. So the Conte Cup final, March 5th. Then we play Brighton three days later. Brighton's always an interesting team. They have not been in good form, but that has rarely mattered in the past. (laughs) They are one of the teams that always gives us trouble. So we play Brighton uh, on the 8th. On the 12th, just four days later, play Manchester United in the league. That's another fascinating game. Definitely, I mean, at the time, it probably will end up being for the top of the table, depending on other results leading up to that game. But, you know, United is currently on top at the moment, but they have played, I think, one game more. So this is going to be an interesting game to see who can stay at the top of the table. Then, 10 days after that, Lyon, Chelsea. Jesus Christ. Quarterfinal <laughs> round of the uh, of the of the Champions League. We go to Paris, we play Lyon in the first leg. Four days after that, we go to Academy Stadium in Manchester to play Manchester City. Four days after that, we welcome Lyon to Kingston. Well, I think it's actually going to be Stanford Bridge, but we welcome Lyon back in leg two of the... Are you making (laughs) this up? This schedule is ridiculous. Uh, In leg two of of the Champions League. And then three days after that, uh, Aston Villa, a team that has been quite dangerous recently. You know, they signed Jordan Nobbs. They have Rachel Daly playing for them as well. They've been an actually pretty dangerous team that can go at you. 
And that's going to be a dangerous, that, that's, that's really, a, to be honest, that might be trickier one. I think that's trickier than the Brighton game, just because of where Brighton is. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a tricky game. And so that one, and that's April 2nd. So that's going to be an interesting one too. I, this entire stretch of games, I, I hate it, <laughs> but also I'm, I'm here for it because I think Chelsea can rise to the occasion in every single game, to be honest, even though there are tough games. I am absolutely fascinated to see how we match up against Lyon. I think that's going to be a very interesting matchup uh, between the two teams. But I obviously back Chelsea against any WSL opposition, whether it's in the FA Cup or the League Cup. So I am expecting us to have at least one trophy already lifted um, during this period. And I think that can be a a boost. Um, Again, I hope they don't party too hard. If they happen to win it, because three days later they play Brighton and we don't need to be hungover playing Brighton. Uh, But yeah, I just I think this is going to be a season defining stretch and I'm looking forward to it. But also I'm a little shook. I'll be honest with you. I I didn't realize I didn't fathom the depths of this stretch until you said it now. In fact, I wish you would have led with this at the beginning of the podcast because I feel I feel like I'm in a cold sweat right now hearing that. Um, it's it's a lot. It's intense. It's not just you know opposition at the top level. It's it's different competitions, different leagues, different permutations. It's 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 a lot. It's it's you know they call it March Madness uh, for other reasons, but this definitely feels like madness in March for Chelsea. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. There's definitely a, a like a vibe around the fact that this is kind of what we've been gearing for. This is what we've been like preparing for, right? This is the reason why we've built our squad and and added depth to the roster. Um, so we can actually play in in a league like this. It's crazy. It's crazy to think that teams need to prepare themselves for schedules like this. Like this yeah. can't be healthy. It can't be the norm. You can't be. How many games is it even? And do you have like the number of games in the span of time? Well, for well, starting February sixth, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and if you count the Aston Villa game, eight. So basically, between February twenty sixth and April second, we'll have eight games played. That's just as crazy. A trip to France in it, and a trip to Manchester. Yeah, it's it's just it's so much. It can't you know possibly be be healthy, but if this is what we've been preparing towards being able to to stretch our squad and to to rotate where possible and make sure we manage the load with key players and i guess we just we have to go through it you know you got to get through the other side and and hope you've prepared well enough for it and we will see definitely against leon that that double header with the game in between yeah that's going to be city in between manchester united be before it starts manchester city <laughs> oh in between God. that's going to be a week to to not sleep at all. That's the, that'd be a memorable week. <laughs> I agree. And also, I might want to change what I said about Lauren James and her minutes restriction at the beginning. Of our yeah, very this first is what I mean. You, you did this on purpose. You led with that question. I, I, well, I spoke for at least three minutes on this. And now you, you've done this to me. But I've also, I've also seen that even though she was subbed on pretty late today for the Lionesses uh, against Italy, she posted a photo of a pretty nasty cut on her knee that oh, looks gosh. like, uh, is, you know, bleeding. And it doesn't look like, you know, it's not something that's going to keep her out for any length of time. But the caption is nothing new with kind of a, a, a little like eyes closed face emoji. And I'm just thinking she's taking a lot of punishment because of the way that, I mean, really the only way to stop her is to get her on Mm -hmm. the ground and foul her. And yeah, so maybe I want to revise that answer. Come back, Vanilla. Please come back. This is what I mean, though. Like when I said about Frank Kirby is that if you play in that role, you open yourself up to being hurt a lot. And that's a a concern. I I don't want to end this podcast on a negative note, but you really... (laughs) set me up well we're not going to end on a negative note because you're back and it's been great to talk with you it's been great to answer these questions even though we got ourselves a little scared at the end but we also know this is chelsea we want the biggest games we want the biggest stages we want to be able to lift as many trophies as we can and as we sit right as we sit right now we are in position to do all of those things and so we're excited about it we're excited about the opportunity and we're good to go. So it's gonna be it's gonna be an intense time. The games are gonna be who knows what to expect from them. They're probably gonna be chaotic. It's gonna be up and down. But I think when it comes to when we look back on this stretch, I think we'll look back on it with some measure of pride because of what the team accomplished. And I think mm-hmm. if they can do that, they can carry that momentum and that feeling and that being able to have the resolve to get through this period. 
through the to the end of the season and who knows where that could end up so i'm excited about it that's how i'm gonna end the podcast with some excitement some positivity yay <laughs> actually i'm trying i'm trying you just you really throw me a curveball at the end of this podcast um i don't oh, want to say, no. i don't want to manifest any negative energy so i'm gonna wait till we're, we're done here and then i'm gonna say something <laughs> i tried my best i'm sorry y'all <laughs>